Have you ever had to make a choice and you felt like you were stuck between a rock and a hard place or that no matter what you chose, it wasn't going to go really the way you wanted it to? Sometimes the choices that we have are so hard to make and yet we make choices every single day from the most insignificant to things that are monumental and everything in between. And so as we're trying to make decisions, as we're trying to make choices that are healthy, that are thriving, that really lift up our lives, that are encouraging, how do we begin to think along those lines, especially connected to a changed heart? If our heart has been changed, how does that begin to shift the choices that we make so that our lives are changed in a way that is fulfilling, life-giving, that we are like, man, it is thriving. Like everything may not be perfect, but I can do this. I can figure out how to navigate through. So for today, we are going into the later part of the New Testament. We are going to 1 John. We don't know who wrote 1 John. We really, all we know is it's kind of for a general audience, written very late in the timeline of the New Testament. And usually the most famous part of 1 John is actually chapter 4. We're not reading chapter 4 today, but it's important for us to know about chapter 4 because chapter 4 talks about, dear friends, let us love one another for love is of God. And we know God when we love others because God is love. And that's really important for us to think about for us to actually know, to hold on to, to wait a minute, let's explore that. Because when you say God is love, that gives some something to go, wait a minute, so you mean then for us today, as we're thinking about this, as we're like working through it, let us hold on to God is love, which is from 1 John. As we get into this, let us have that in the back of our minds as we start in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who claims, I know him, while not keeping his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in this person. But the love of God is truly perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know we are in him. The one who claims to remain in him ought to live in the same way as he lived. All right, so that, that theme right there of what I was talking about in the fourth chapter, but it starts to come out here in the second chapter of love, of keeping those commandments. But we need to back up here because it says, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. So just a reminder, I've said before, all sin means is to miss the mark. We are all imperfect. Even when we're trying our best, we are imperfect at times. Sometimes we even make choices, right, with the best information that we've got in the moment. And we think, okay, this is it. This is the choice I need to make. And then later on, we look back and we're like, that wasn't the best choice with the information I had, right? We make choices 
all the time. And sin just means to miss the mark because we are imperfect people. And here the writer reiterates, you know what? That's why there's grace. We are imperfect people and we've got an advocate. There is this grace that surrounds us so that when we do screw up in life, when we are like, mm, shouldn't have done that, we've got grace. That grace is poured out over us, forgiving us, loving us, holding us up in ways that maybe we never even thought possible. When we have those imperfect moments, it's like grace is can pour up, be poured upon us and we can soak it in because when we soak in grace, it begins to come out of us in other ways. We soak it in and then in our words and our actions, that grace begins to be extended out. And so here the writers really focused on, okay, not talking about grace because we've all got it, but when we're trying, right? When we're trying to make really good decisions, when we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, how is this connected to God? Is it connected to God at all? And here's where it's really important for us to know those stories of Jesus, of how Jesus was interacting with the crowds, of how he was constantly healing, encouraging, how he was present with people, how he was able to be present in ways that lifted up that listened to people he didn't know, people who didn't look like him, didn't act like him, didn't even believe like him necessarily. And yet he was able to listen and pay attention. He gave others dignity and respect. He was a healing presence. So as we think about those different teachings kind of swirling around, okay, so what does it mean to make choices that are connected in that realm of, of trying to be that healing presence, of trying to be that encouraging presence, of saying, wait a minute, what does respect and dignity look like with this individual even when I disagree completely? So this is a moment of trying to take in and go through those teachings of going, okay, now how do I begin to live those out? Continuing on in verses 7 through 8. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message you heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. All right, so this new old commandment is about love. In fact, it comes out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, out of the Old Testament. So long before Jesus, long before Jesus, it says you are to love God and to love your neighbor. And here with Jesus, we get in Matthew 22, it says, hey, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second greatest commandment is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get in John, not first John, but John the gospel. We get in John 13 where Jesus says, I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. See the love? So we've got a long line because Deuteronomy and Leviticus are supposedly from the time of Moses. So think of it as it's foundational. Moses didn't write it, but it's foundational to the Israelites. And so a thousand years or more before Jesus, 
we get this commandment about love, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus reiterates the commandment. It's not new, but he puts a new spin on it. He, he gives some like understanding, well, what does it mean to live in particular context? And then when we move forward to 1 John, 1 John being written so much later, generations after Jesus, after those who walked with Jesus, that they're trying to figure that out too. They're like, okay, so if this is the commandment to love, what does it actually look like in our everyday choices? What does it look like in our everyday kind of interactions when things aren't necessarily the way we want them, but yet we have to love others? How does that begin to work? So that's where the newness comes in, that it's a constant revealing, like it's a constant discerning and discovering what does it mean in our particular context every single day, even though it's based upon something that is thousands of years old. Continuing on in verses 9 through 11. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. The person loving a brother and sister stays in the light and there is nothing in the light that causes a person to stumble. But the person who hates a brother or sister in the dark, is in the darkness and lives in the darkness and doesn't know where to go because the darkness blinds the eyes. All right, so think about that for a moment. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. Okay. Sometimes we have sibling rivalry. Sometimes people do hate their siblings. However, what this is really trying to get at, it's trying to, right, we've already pointed back to, remember when Jesus said, you've got to love one another. You've got to love everybody. Love all, not your neighbor, means everyone. And so here, that when we hate our brother or sister, maybe we need to take the word brother and sister or sister out of it and say, when we hate, when we hate those who mistreat others, when we hate those we disagree with that have different political views than ourselves, when we hate politicians and lawyers, when we hate people who don't show dignity and give dignity to others, when we've been mistreated by someone, right? We could fill in these blanks Take out brother and sister and fill it in with all kinds of things. Think about all of those, right? All of those things about humanity that we really don't like. Maybe we even sometimes cross into hatred. Or maybe hatred's not our thing, right? Because hate kind of happens when we sit in our anger too long without a dose of grace Hate happens when we ruminate upon revenge or I'm going to respond or how dare they, right? Hate can be cultivated then, but maybe for you, you don't, you're like, yeah, that's not really my, my struggle in life because that is so strong. I dislike, right? I dislike certain people. I dislike certain behaviors, and so for us that are reading it today, that maybe if hate isn't the right word for us, that we have to then see this as anything, anything that can start to get in the way of loving others. Our dislike of, we don't agree with, we think that they make poor choices, right? Those things that maybe, maybe that's where we need to focus 
ourselves is on do things get in the way and what are those things that get in the way of us loving others? Is it judgmental? Is it, well, that's not what I would do, so how dare you? Is it control? Is it, this is the only way to do it? You can't do it any other way, right? What are the things that begin to get in the way of us loving others? Because to love others is very disruptive. Because when we get with this goal of, okay, if I'm going to live in the light, if I'm going to try to figure out what a meaningful life is, if I'm going to try to make choices that are loving others no matter what, it takes some real discernment. Because there are those. There are those where, you know what, it's not safe for us to be near them. And so what does love look like in that context? What does look like love look like when it goes... I sure don't agree with them. How can they possibly think that? What does it mean to love then? What does it mean to love when we don't know anything else to do? Here's where this thing comes in where Jesus is like, you need to pray for your enemies. A sense of, okay, when we don't know how to love in a situation because it's really, really difficult, then are we able to make the choice, I must give that one over to God. I must give that person, I must give this relationship to God that I need to pray for this person. I hope they go with God. I hope they find peace. I hope they are transformed by God's love. I hope they know grace, mercy, and forgiveness. What does love look like in some of our most challenging situations? That's what these verses are really trying to hammer at of going, okay, what does love mean here? How do I choose love with this person right now? How do I choose love with people I don't even know? With people, maybe they are splattered across TV. They are on the news. How do I love even them? What does that even mean? Continuing on in verses 12 through 14. Little children, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus' name. Parents, I'm writing to you because you have known the one who has existed from the beginning. Young people, I am writing to you because you have conquered the evil one. Little children, I write to you because you know the Father. Parents, I write to you because you have known the one who has existed from the beginning. Young people, I write to you because you are strong. The word of God remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. All right, so that begins with little children, I'm writing to you because you, your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. When we don't know how to love, maybe we're imperfect in it, maybe we screw that up, and yet there is this forgiveness, there is this grace, there is this love that is right there ready to pick us up that we get to discover and as this runs through little children, parents, young adults, what it's saying is every season of life, no matter the season of life that we are in, 
no matter how long we have already lived or how short of a time, that we get to discover new aspects of God's love for us and how we are loving one another, how we get to carry that forth, how do we get to live it out in different ways in all kinds of experiences. Here, this is about the seasons of life bring something new. And what are we focused on in each and every season? When we're struggling, when we're struggling with the decisions, how often do we take a pause and go, okay, what does it mean to love someone else in this? What does it even mean to love ourselves as God has loved us? What does it mean to extend that grace in a brand new way? It's like every season brings possibility brings an opportunity for us to discover yet another layer, another way to love one another, another way for God's love to be known in us. Think about that. For God's love to be known in us in different ways. It's kind of fun, right? It's like we're never stagnant. We're always evolving that, yeah, we are imperfect, but what are the things that we learn because we are focused upon? We have a changed heart, and so it begins to shift our choices. We begin to learn different things. We begin to discover new aspects of how to step in and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to get caught up in the pettiness, the power struggle, the things of life that really are destructive the unkindness, the meanness, the back and forth. How do I get caught up in God's love, which is disrupting that way of thinking, which disrupts the fear, which disrupts the despair, which disrupts everything is falling apart, which disrupts the discouragement that is all around us every single day, that every season of our life we get to discover something new, not just for ourselves, but so that others can discover it. Others can be, be part of it. That we can be an encouragement that someone needed today that they would have not gotten anywhere else. Because we begin to tune our life. We begin to like, okay, what does it mean to love in this situation? Wait a minute. How can I extend some grace here? Every season is a new opportunity. Finishing up in verses 15 through 17. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world and its cravings are passing away, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. All right, so 1 John when 1 John is saying of the world, 1 John is focused upon, and we heard it a little bit in those passages, those verses, of material possessions, things of the world that are destructive to God's love that get in the way. So things that are destructive to God's love, power, the love of money, right? Greed, people do really painful, hurtful things to one another for power and for greed, right? We live in a time where we see both of those things happening. But here's the thing. It's really anything, anything that gets in the way of love. And sometimes we hold on to certain things too tightly. 
Maybe it's not money and maybe it's not power. But sometimes we hold on to our way of thinking, only way of doing, that we hold on tightly to our comfort, to our beliefs, to our judgments, my way is the better way, to our control. We hold on to certain things so tightly that we begin to wind around. Our lives begin to bend around it in ways that are not connected to God nor God's possibilities. Every single day, we have to make judgments. I like to call it discernments. But sometimes we go too far in our judgments because we want to control things. We want to control people. We want to control outcomes because our way is the better way. We talked a little bit about that last week. Sometimes there's reasons for our way. But when we go overboard, those judgments can begin to build walls with one another, right? If somebody feels like you're being judged, if you feel like you are being judged by someone, does that mean you want to be near them? Does it make loving them harder? And the answer, uh, yeah, yeah, it makes it a whole lot harder, right? And so to begin to think about those things that we hold on to so tightly that maybe cause us to judge one another, that maybe cause us to respond in particular ways, that maybe begin to build walls in our relationships and go, wait a minute, how is that connected to God's love? Because when we're reading through the stories of Jesus, that love, Jesus is going up to all kinds of people. He's listening. He's encouraging. He is doing that even with people who are like, I don't even like you, man. Like, how dare you help somebody else? Which sounds a little crazy, but that can happen, right? When we're too tightly wound around the things, it's only our way. It's only our way of doing it. It's how it's our comfort. Instead of going, wait a minute, where is God calling me? How is God calling me to love in this moment? And love doesn't always mean close, right? It's contextual. We've talked about that before. Love maybe is a little bit of distance. Love can be just praying for somebody else. Can be saying, you know what? Let go, let go, go with God, please. Peace be with you. Love looks different in all kinds of ways, which is why we have all of these passages of Scripture that's giving us little tidbits, little things to find, little discoveries, so that our choices every single day can in, be impacted, can be shifted more closely to God. Because as I've said before, we were created out of love for peace and joy. And so if we are on that path, if we are looking towards, if we're like, okay, how do my choices lead to joy and peace? Lead me to living a life of joy and peace. How are we living that love? How are we choosing to focus on love no matter the season of our life? How are we choosing to focus on love so intently that it begins to disrupt the despair, the fear, the things of this world that are so burdensome, how does the way that we love begin to disrupt the pain of this world? The isolation, the loneliness, the judgmental. How does love, the way that we choose to live love every single day, 
begin to disrupt a world that is cold so often, that is only in it for oneself and nobody else? How do we begin to live a love that says, no, love is for all? How will I love today? How will I choose to love today that is connected to God instead of the pain and the hatred, the judgmental, the discouragement of the world? Amen.